verses 22 through 2, verse 3. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to gather and to study your word. We pray for you to incline our hearts toward you and toward your word, that we would not just sing that these are the words of life, but we would see these as the words of life, that you would grant the grace we need to receive them as the words of life, and that we would then live in that life. Father, I pray for those who may not be in Christ, that today may be the day of salvation, that you deliver them from the domain of darkness and transfer them to the kingdom of your beloved Son. For our text at hand is what you're calling believers to do. Our text at hand is not something that will earn your love it is meant to display the love that you've already granted to us and so father we pray for help that you would give us a desire to receive and then live it if there is any lack of sincerity in our love for each other if there's any lack of earnest or brotherly affection if there's any lack of purity in our love for each other would you convict us today if there's malice in our heart toward others, if there's envy, if there's hypocrisy that we're engaged in, if there's deceit, would you help us to put these things away? Would you, would you help us to want to grow in what you've started in us? That we truly have tasted and seen that you are good? So, Father, would you help us to crave your word? so that you can feed our soul and then use us to feed others. Thank you for granting life through your living and abiding word. And though the grass withers and the flowers fade, your word will stand forever. And so the life you grant, you grant forever. The change you bring is brought forever. So may it be evident that you have not just changed us, but that you're continuing to change us conform us more and more to the image of Christ whom you sent to die for weak ungodly sinners so may that love be evident may our love not just be talk this morning if we lack affection for others to whom you've called us to love we're not taking actions that demonstrate that sacrificial love help us Speak now through your word, and not just in this room, but, Father, for each church in our city, that the word would go forth rightly, the word would go forth in your spirit's power, and that, Father, each would be equipped further in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If it's your first Sunday with us, we've been walking through the book of 1 Peter, and now we've made it today. We will make it through the end of chapter 1, and we will venture three verses into the beginning of chapter two and i will ask you to hold your place in first peter and turn to first john chapter four just for a moment and while you're turning to first john chapter four i want to ask you a few questions the first one is this is there anyone in your family who would doubt your love for them whether it's in affection or whether it's in action would they doubt your love so anyone in your family would they doubt your affections for them or would they doubt actions because uh, you're not taking any? Question number two, is there anyone in our faith family who would doubt your love for them? 
It's that awkward moment, you know, before the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday where you're like, uh, should I apologize or not? There's something I need to seek forgiveness for or not? I'll just go ahead and take this wafer. Be all right. Uh, but the reality is it won't be all right. We shouldn't do that. If there's something that we need to make right, Jesus cares and cautions us to do so. And so I wonder if there's anyone in our faith family who would doubt your love for them, either in affection, feeling, or actions taken toward them. And then one, uh, one final question, the third question. I wonder if anyone doubts Christ's love because of our lack of love for them. So anyone in our city, anyone at work, anyone in our neighborhood, I wonder if they doubt the reality of Christ's love because of the lack of reality of that love in us. And I wonder if they think uh, it can't be real because they fail to see it. While you're in First John, I'm going to tell you, remind you, for those of you who've grown up, there once was a guy named Saul. And this is what Luke writes about Saul in the book of Acts. He says that Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul was no friend of the church. Saul was a persecutor of the church. In our day, we would say that Saul was a terrorist of the church. And he didn't care which gender you were, whether you'd figured it out or not. He didn't care. He drug you out of your house if you claimed to be in Christ and took you to prison. It goes on in the next chapter to say, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so this guy's not satisfied. He wants to expand his territory and his torture. And he's breathing threats and murderous threats at that of wanting to uh, start this crusade against Christians, wanting to bring them uh, and persecute them and do away with them to crush those who would be pulling away from Judaism. And it says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Just a word there. I want to remind you. The personalization of Jesus' persecution. He so identified with his people whom Saul was persecuting that he claimed them as his own persecution. This would be what Helen Roosevelt felt in that jungle in Africa when being persecuted by rebel soldiers who were wounding her and harming her in multiple ways. The Lord would breathe into her mind, these are not your sufferings, these are mine. These are mine. So Jesus so identifies and he stops Saul in his track and he says I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do the men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened he saw nothing so they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias the Lord said to him in a vision Ananias and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now can you just imagine Ananias? He was just minding his own business one day. He was just hanging out in Damascus where the Lord ordained for him to be. And in a vision, the Lord said, Ananias, i got something I need to do. Well, here I am, Lord. Hey, there's a guy named Saul who... I told him a guy named Ananias is coming. And I imagine Ananias would say, are there more Ananiases in Damascus? That's great, Lord. I mean, here's his response. Here's what he, he, he says to him. Ananias says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. This is Ananias going, say what? That's what he says. The message version actually makes that verse a lot shorter, you know? And then I just says, say what? Uh, Lord, I know you know all things. Do you know this thing? Do you, do you know? I've, I've heard about this guy. But the Lord said, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
So Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. And like Anna this morning, he rose and was baptized. There's so much I love about this experience. First of all, if there's anyone who you think is too far to be reached by Christ, all you have to do is look at Saul. Saul, uh, matter of fact, is the last guy who would believe in Jesus. He, he was trying to kill those who did believe in Jesus. So it's not that Saul was looking for Jesus, but I love that Jesus comes looking for Saul. And that Jesus in his sovereignty has a, a plan for Saul's life, and he doesn't ask Saul's permission. He has a plan that he wants to use him to be an instrument to carry his name before Gentiles and kings. And that plan will involve suffering. So all of you who think that God's plan for you does not involve suffering, it wasn't the case for Saul. His plan would be right through suffering. The path of obedience would be right through suffering. And so he responds and he receives the Holy Spirit. And then later what you see in Acts chapter 20 is no longer tormenting, but now when he goes door to door, he's teaching. He says in Acts 20, how I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching in public from house to house. How many of you know that some of those people were a little nervous when they saw him at the door? Like, uh, honey, get the gun, all right? Uh, there was some nervousness to it. If we were to go on to 1 Thessalonians, we would see instead of tormenting, we would see tenderness toward other believers. Here's what he writes. For you yourselves know, brothers, in 1 Thessalonians 2, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext of greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This is the same guy who was dragging women out of houses. And now he's saying, do you remember our tenderness? The care like a, like a mom taking care of that newborn baby. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the guy who was torturing is now the guy who's teaching. The guy who was torturing is now the guy who is tender and exerting care what brought this change well i've uh, i've already prayed it romans 5 5 god god poured his love into paul's heart that's what happened romans 5 5 says that god's love has been poured into our hearts through the holy spirit who's been given to us and if you you've got first john open i want you to look beginning in verse 7 beloved let us love one another for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. One more time. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we've loved, but God loved us and send his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if god so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen god if we love one another god abides in us and his love is perfected in us and then skip down to verse 20 if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love god whom he's not seen and this commandment we have from him whoever loves god must also love his brother. And then look at 1 John chapter 3. Just look in the previous chapter. One verse, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. 
Whoever does not love abides in death. Last week in First Peter, we finally made it to a therefore. In verses 1 through 12, all of the incredible promises that God has given to us were listed. And then in verse 13 was that therefore be holy and hopeful in your life. We see now another therefore when the gospel is really in our life that people won't have to guess whether we love them or not. That love will be apparent. That love will be evident. And I love that the test in First John, you want to know if you're really a Christian this morning because Paul always encourages those he writes to, especially the church at Corinth, test yourself and see if you're in Christ. What he doesn't say is, do you remember being baptized? What he doesn't say is, do you remember walking it out? Do you remember repeating a prayer with a pastor or a parent? He doesn't say any of that. He says, here's how you can know you've passed from death to life. And the answer is love. That you love others affectionately and in action. That the love that God has for us is evident in us. People are like, I recognize that type of love. That's not from the world. The world loves with selfish motives. The world loves for its own reasons. This love has no selfish motives. This love is sacrificial. So let me repeat those first questions. Would anyone in your family doubt your love for them? Would anyone in this faith family doubt your love for them? And would anyone doubt the love of Christ because of the way that you failed to demonstrate love toward them? These are serious matters in, in us knowing whether we are in Christ and whether others can see this love in us. No one doubted the legitimacy of Paul's transformation. They could see it. The one that used to torture them is the one who's teaching them with tenderness, desirous of them, caring for them, working hard so they don't have to support him while he's there just so he can keep teaching them. I wonder if anyone doubts the, the legitimacy of our transformation because when it comes to love, that therefore of the gospel is absent or diminished. Go back to First Peter now, and at the top of your notes, I put the passage in a sentence, a very simple one. When God's life is in us, his love will be evident through us. That when God's life is in us, his love will be evident through us. This is not a complicated test, uh, ta uh, text, uh, but I do often have the spiritual gift to overcomplicate the simple. I uh, will do my best not to do that. We'll try to let the text speak for itself. Beginning with truth number one, we are to love one another. So just as we were called in the previous text, he, he begins to say, hey, here's what you do. Prepare your minds for action. Set your hope fully on the grace of God that Jesus is going to bring to you. Now, here's what we're told in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart and those descriptors are around there to help us understand what love is because what's love got to do with it we live in a world what is love baby don't yeah you are you heathens you shouldn't know these songs you should all look at me like what is this trash don't listen to such rubbish right yeah, i figured you would know a little bit of this that uh, if we leave the world to define love that we're in trouble and so Peter has given us some things to hang our understanding on. And so first, we are to love one another sincerely. He says here uh, that we, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. What, what does sincerely believe? Uh, what does it mean? And, and I guess what I would say is, can you believe that the gospel community would need to be reminded to love each other sincerely? And I would say to you, as I always do, yes, not because I know you and you're a bunch of fakers, but because I know me. That sometimes I am tempted for my love not to be genuine. Most of us are excellent at pretending to love others. We pretend to care. Uh, <laughs> we sometimes have a joke in our elder meetings when, when it comes time to, to volunteer. Uh, some are like, ah! One in particular, I will not name Matthew so that he's not incriminated, but, but sometimes he, he is actually pretending to volunteer about something only to, to pull it back. Uh, not really. Mitchell, however, is not good at saying no, and so we are all grateful for Mitchell and Kevin. We are grateful for them, and they say yes all the time. 
we can be really excellent at pretending to love people. And what he's saying here by sincere, the idea here is don't let your love be fake. Don't let your love be an external facade. Let love actually be love. And one theologian in the past says, it is difficult to express how ingenious almost all people are in counterfeiting a love which they don't really possess. Man, how many times have you ever said, I'm praying for you, and you really haven't been praying for them? Or I care for you, but you really don't care for them. You just say it. You just, you just say it. It's cultural Christianity. And he says, that's not the case here. This should actually be a sincere love. It's a selfless love, primarily concerned with others. And it's not just a feeling. Uh, we, we learned that from Romans 12 that a genuine love helps others hate what's evil and cling to what's good. That's a part of what genuine love looks like, putting away evil, clinging to what's good. And so what you can know is if someone's leading you to sin or asking you sin, they're not loving you sincerely. They're not loving you with a genuine love. And if someone wants you not to do what's good, they don't, they don't love you either. Genuine love is moving us toward what is godly and right. And so that we shouldn't pretend to love, that we should really love. Then he, he says here, with a brotherly love. With a brotherly love. What, what does this mean, a, a brotherly love? Obviously, we have these different versions of love in the New Testament. And Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love because the words that comprise it form this together. What, what do we mean? We mean love as family really should love. Now, some of us have grown up in families where families didn't love each other. Families were selfish. Families didn't take care of it. I, I didn't click on it to see, but I know there's a dude running for an office in Arizona that six of his siblings are in a commercial trying to convince people not to vote for their brother. I don't know what that, what that guy did. I didn't read it, but I was like, dog, you know? Uh, yeah, there's some, there's some trouble in that. But when it is healthy and right, there's a loyalty, there's a fierceness. Now, when I see the word brotherly love, I often uh, think about my sister and sisterly love. I think about Lala. Uh, Lala has demonstrated sacrificial love for our family many times. When my father would begin to punch my mother, Lala would often get in between them. She's nine years older than me, and so she endured it far more than I did. But she would often get in between because mom wouldn't defend herself. And my sister would get in there to help mom, to protect mom. I'll never forget the day uh, when Lurlin took me to the, the local arcade. And I remember her using her own money on me just to let me have a good time. Lala had a chance to go and pursue some other graduate degrees further away. And it would have probably been a really good experience for her. But she chose not to do that because she didn't want to leave my mom and I in that situation by ourselves. So she chose to go somewhere closer so that she could help them. More, more recently, uh, she went to the doctor last Sunday and, and after certain tests, he was worried that she could be uh, septic. And so she has been taking shots all week long. But even after taking those shots, uh, going home and caring for mom, when most of us would just selfishly want to lay down, there were needs going on with mom that even while uh, dealing with this treatment, uh, wanting uh, to to serve. And then uh, even last night, uh, Tara's Aunt Frances kept Alistair while we went to, uh, Kevin and I went to a conference I spoke for in Birmingham Thursday night and Friday morning. And then I drove from Birmingham back to Tupelo. And then we went from Tupelo to Potts Camp where Arabella was supposed to cheer. But thanks to the lightning things, we were able to leave early to go to Jackson uh, for a swim meet she had yesterday morning early. And so we took all, we took A1, A2, A3. We left A4 with Aunt Frances. Aunt Frances has, uh, I think, the very original Nokia cell phone that's like this big and featured on Saturday Night Live and things like this. Uh, and, and she left her charger in Amory, or more accurately, Becker Bottom, a suburb of Amory. And, and so uh, the last we heard from Aunt Frances on Saturday was that she was going to take... Uh, Alistair and, and go back to Amory. And so then we began to call her house and, and Tara's cousin Tracy answered and said, yes, she said they'd be on the way. And so we couldn't reach him at seven and we couldn't reach him at eight. We couldn't reach him at nine. We knew it was raining and we couldn't reach him at 930. And I was in honestly sheer panic mode. I 
called a neighbor, but he wasn't at his house, and so I called Lala, and I was like, Lala, you got to go see, and in the course of that, I was not patient, I was not kind, literally, I'm yelling in the phone, because I want to know if my son's alive, and Lala, despite my ill tone, still went in the middle of the night, and hey, Alistair's alive, he's right here, he's on the front row, and so they're all like, yeah, and Francis is like, yeah, my phone died, you know, and uh, this is why you should have a house line, kids, so... And all of those things, when I think of brotherly love, I I think of sacrificial spirit. And while while on the subject of even familial love and and receiving love you don't deserve, I mean, Tara Tara could just go ahead and give you many examples of of ways in which uh, she continues to love me despite my best attempts to test the extreme limits of it. Like this weekend being impatient and not kind, so much so that I had to apologize to her this morning to say I'm sorry. I was selfish and impatient and worried and anxious over these things. And, and even after all that, she still drove through the dark and the storm last night so that I could study and rest. I am often a recipient of sacrificial brotherly slash sisterly slash what familial love is supposed to, to look like. And it is a love that allows for weaknesses and imperfection, that communicates and deals with problems, and has a strong commitment and loyalty to others. Jim Wilkin has said, brotherly love perseveres when it does not feel like doing so. It chooses to focus on shared essentials rather than squabble over unshared non-essentials. It edifies and encourages assuming the best about its spiritual siblings, eschewing cynicism and constant critique. And so uh, Peter writes here and he says, hey, the love that you should be demonstrating is one that's real, it's not fake. It's one that's loyal, even though you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it all. They're with you through the thick and thin. They're going to be there. They're going to be selfless for you. And then he says earnestly, earnestly, that, that we would love one another earnestly. Philippians 1.8, Paul says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. I've told you before, it is not okay to say that we love them, but we don't like them. This verse crushes that and says that we should feel some things for those whom we're called to love. The word earnest means especially strong or deeply felt, fervent emotions or desires. So not apathetically, not lackadaisically. And so that gets us to an important question. What if I don't feel earnest love for the person in my house? What if I don't feel earnest love for the people in my life group? And what I would say to you is pray and ask God to produce this affection in you. That you would meditate on the cross. That you would remember they're your brother and sister. We just covered that. That Christian love is a work in progress. Thank God for fruit you see in them. And then remember all of our, whatever it is that gets on your nerves about them, in heaven that won't get on your nerves anymore. All right? So it's just temporary annoyance. Temporary, you know, praise the Lord for that. And so for a short time we can endure a lot of things, right? I do not want to lose a friendship because my lack of being able to tolerate whatever it is that is so annoying. Do you feel love for others in your faith family and in your family? And then from a pure heart. Throughout, throughout our text today, he says, having purified your souls at the beginning of 22, and then at the end of 22, from a pure heart. And then in verse 2 of chapter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. So purified your souls, pure heart, pure spiritual milk. It's a theme that's running through here. And, and the idea is, look, that, that we want to love with their best in mind. That we don't have any motive but their good and God's glory. We've seen too many who have pretended to love because they wanted to manipulate or control. And there's nothing of that in a pure love that is strictly for their good and for God's glory. Now, why does this even matter? Why should we love one another? Well, Jesus says that nothing is more important than loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. The second that is like it is loving our neighbors ourselves. So Jesus says the two most important things, loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, loving others as we love ourselves. In Revelation 2, verse 4, Jesus is not pleased with the church that had forgotten its first love. And love matters so that you saw in 1 John, uh, in 1 John 3.14, so that we can know we've passed from death to life. And love matters so that the world can know, as Jesus says in John 13, that the world will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. 
Now the question is, how is earnest, pure, sincere, brotherly love produced in us and for one another? Obviously one answer is we love because God first loved us from 1 John 4 and Romans 5, 5, that we love because he's poured his love into us. And this is once again a great reminder that all God expects from us, he provides for us. So he doesn't even expect you to love him or others in your own love. He already knows it's not sufficient. So he actually gives us all the love that we need for others. But there is another way that we can see this love increase among us. Hold your place in First Peter and turn to Ephesians 4 just for one moment. Turn to Ephesians 4 for one moment. Two questions I would have as we come to Ephesians 4. Do you know your spiritual gift or gifts? And are you using your spiritual gift or gifts in the lives of other believers. One of the hopes of our life groups is that spiritual gifts are used over and over and over. That they are displayed and, and put into use. In Ephesians 4, it says this in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, watch this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You want to know one of the ways that we grow in a sincere, brotherly, earnest, and pure love? It's by using our spiritual gifts in each other's lives. That when we use our spiritual gifts in each other's lives, then the whole body is built up in love. So I would ask, is Trace Crossing blessed by your obedience to use your spiritual gifts in our lives? Or are we burdened because of your disobedience by not using your gifts in our lives? This is one reason why we continue to push for for membership and intentional commitments that, that we would use our gifts, that we would know and display and the end result being that the whole group of us are built up in the love of God. This is God's plan for his church. So the prophets, the teachers, preachers, they equip through the word, then the people do the work of the ministry. And when each part is working properly, the whole thing is built up in love. So he says, therefore... Love one another, earnestly, sincerely, purely, with a brotherly affection. Why does it matter? Because Jesus says there's nothing more important than displaying, possessing and displaying this love. And the ways that we, we receive, because what we've got to figure out is, if we're not loving in these ways, has God not poured his love into my heart then? Am I not really regenerate? If he has, am I not using my gifts, spiritual gifts in others' lives? And then... As we come back to First Peter now, come back to our text, we should love in these ways, not because we have to, but because we cannot help but love like this. This is not love that we, we are forced. This is love that flows, all right? It flows out of us. Why? Because truth number two, because God's life in us produces our love for others. On both sides of this. So look at 22 love one another is right there in the middle and then look what's on either side of it beginning at 22 and then 23 so 22 begins with having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God so on either side of the love is life on either side of the love is life that's it's pushing that love out that we have purified our souls by obedience to and the, the essence there, we have responded to the gospel. And then he just says clearly, it says you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So the connection between our action and God's action is that he causes us to have this life using his word. And then we will love one another because of his life and love being present in us. There's some things that uh, we should be encouraged with here. Uh, first of all, as he, 
says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And then as Peter thinks about that for a moment, he says, the word is living and it's abiding. So it brings life and it stays with you. And he says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And he's had this theme throughout the first chapter. that You've been born again, not of sea which perishable, but is imperishable. We have an inheritance that isn't perishable. Our faith is not perishable from verse 7. Our ransom is not perishable. And so the whole point is what God has done, it will last. He's brought life that lasts. He's brought life that is precious and that is permanent to us. And so what is this word? He says at the very end of 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so God uses his word to bring life to us, which gets us back to why if you memorize an evangelistic presentation, and it's not really about memorizing the word, I would encourage you, memorize the word, for it's through his word that he grants life. This is what he uses to bring life and it is life that lasts, life that will never revert back to what it was. So where he brings change, that change is lasting change. And so we want to be those who, as we love, it's because we can't help it. His love has been poured into us, and we've, he's brought change that will be there forever. And he did so, one, by there being good news of the gospel. Two, causing someone to share it with us. Three, causing us to respond to that gospel. And he used that word to grant life. Who's hearing this word for us? Which gets us to our third truth then. Therefore, since God has granted us life and we are to love one another, there's some things that will help in that. Therefore, let us put away. It says in verse one of chapter two, so put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy and all slander. The word put away there means take off, be intentional. Uh, for those of you with small children, if you've ever had a baby that uh, uh, took the food that it was eating and then put it back out on you in various ways, they do that. Uh, you've been glad to take that shirt off. I have reverted to baby days because now I get food all over my own shirt. I don't know longer need a baby to do that. I apparently do it myself. But the idea here is a, a soiled garment that we're, we're not going to put in the washer and put back on. It's one that we want to put away, that we put it off and we put it away. We don't want to put it back on because it's nasty and it's dirty. And so he gives a list of this, put away all malice. Well, what is malice? The word behind this is just the general word for evil and wickedness. That's always a good policy. Hey, if you have any evil or wickedness, just put that away. Okay. Just put that away. But especially, it's not only ill intent, but also any harmful actions. I mean, maybe there are times you really do wish ill on someone else. Perhaps there have been times you hope something bad happens to someone. Perhaps there have been times you have made something bad happen to someone. That's malice. That's malice. And Peter is saying, that should not be us. So we are not those who wish evil on others or work toward evil toward others. Also, all deceit. This is harm that comes through trickery or falsehood. Uh, you're seeing the themes in the text of sincere and genuine, but that we would put away deceit, that we wouldn't want to harm folks through trickery or, or falsehood. And then hypocrisy. This is the masking of inward evil by an outward show of righteousness. This is when we try to make the outside look better than the inside. It looks like love on the outside, but inside it tells a different story. And Jesus had verse after verse that he took the religious leaders to task about this. I wonder if we're often hiding internal sin and so we put up a moral external front. And hypocrisy is all about falsehood, concealment, deceit, and hiding. And do you know why we are hypocrites? Because we don't rest in the gospel. We want to gain the approval of someone else rather than resting in the approval God has given us in Jesus. That's the essence of why we're hypocrites. 
Ed Welch, in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small, he says, the praise of others, that wisp of a breeze that lasts for a moment, can seem more glorious to us than the praise of God. And so I hope that we're not those who crave the praise of men because love doesn't put up artificial fronts, doesn't dwell on the flaws of others, it doesn't crave the praise of others, doesn't act religious to hide sin. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? They're, they're put to death because they lied. I would encourage you, we're going to take an offering in a little bit. And uh, the deal was not that they didn't give enough. That wasn't the deal. The deal was they lied to the Holy Spirit. They claimed what they were giving was the total gift. And, and really because the gift was not about God, it was about Ananias and Sapphira. It was not about his glory, it was about theirs. And they learned that hypocrites do not get away with it and neither will we. They wanted the praise of others rather than the praise that comes from the Lord of being well and faithful to his plan. So Peter says, put it away. If you have evil intent toward put other put it away. If you are deceiving others, if you're pretending to be something that you're not, put that away. And then envy. This is the opposite. I love what Grudem says. The opposite of thankfulness for good which comes to others. So you're not thankful for good. You want that for you. Covetousness is wanting their stuff, their possessions, but envy has to do with their person. We we want whatever it is about them, and it involves comparison and criticizing and complaining. And then lastly, all slander, which this is any speech that harms or intends to harm, whether in person or on social media, right? Uh, flattery is saying something to someone you would never say behind their back, right? Slander is saying something about someone you would never say to their face. And so what we see here is that if the word of God has come to dwell in us and brought life, then we should love and malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander are never loving towards those in our family or our faith family. As another has said, those born again of the living and abiding word should eagerly clothe themselves in a garment not of malice, but of goodwill. We're not those who work to bring people harm we're those who work for the good of others. Galatians 6, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, including the household of faith. We're not those of deceit. We speak truth. Ephesians 4 says, speaking the truth in love, that we are honest with each other. And man, sometimes we, we need to be honest. I know some of you that I've met with, you're like, hey, here's the truth. And I know there's more truth that you're, you're not being honest. Speak the truth. Sometimes we should just say stuff to people rather than about them later to our friends who we like, right? Just speak it because we need that because there's probably no one else saying it into their life. And I know you're afraid to speak that truth, but that's what you're called to do in the strength of Christ. And it would be for your good and their good. To, man, we speak truth. We don't deceive others. Not of hypocrisy, but of genuine, not of envy, but generosity. That's what should characterize us. And not of slander, but of praise. If we're doing anything behind someone's back, it's building them up. It's not tearing them down. If we're doing anything behind their back, it's helping them, not harming them, right? And so this is the robe worn by the chosen exiles of God, a garment that marks them as aliens and strangers. If we're going to do those things, then verse 2 in chapter 2 needs to be true of us, that like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So if we're going to to love, we're going to have to long for something. And what that longing for is, is to grow up into Jesus. And what helps us grow, obviously, is the milk of the word. That he's brought life through this word. And now we want to grow in this word. So like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. So, you know, oftentimes we see people come to Christ and what's next? And Peter in these two sections is saying, this is what's next. That you prepare your minds for holiness and you set your mind on hope and that there's love that's genuine and all of that is because you're still growing in this word now if any of us have have uh, ever had children and 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 the the nursing uh can be difficult it doesn't always go how many of you found that nursing can be difficult men you know <laughs> i i certainly have i've tried to be a helper with all of that those processes and 
Uh, and even at night when Tara would get up and nurse, I would get my pillow and I would go in the nursery with her and I would lay on the floor just as a sympathetic partner. I'm with you, girl. Wake me up when we can go back to our bed together. All right. Um, but it, it's not always easy, but it's what's needed. They, those babies need that milk uh, to survive. And so I love a picture that another's given that though babies need pure milk to survive, they must learn how to receive it. And it's an apt metaphor for Bible study. We know we need to be in the Word to survive and to thrive. Did we not just sing, where else will we go, Lord? You have the words of what? Life. But if we're never going to those words, right? We're not getting the substance that we need. And so you think it would be easy. We know we need this, so let's do it. But it isn't always that easy. It requires perseverance on the part of both God and his child. God's perseverance is unquestioned. He will meet us in his word. We do not expect our time in the word to require practice, but it does. Man, there are a lot of people who read the Bible, but there are not a lot who study the Bible. There are even less who memorize and pray it, right? Because you know what? That takes effort. It takes effort to do what we're called to do here. But he says there's something that should be drawing you to this, and it's verse 3. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. You know what will cause you to long for more of that word? It's because God has met you in that word, and you've not just found the word to be good, you have found God to be good. You've delighted in God. And this is what we talk about is the height of discipleship, mentoring others, how to delight in God, that we've tasted and we've seen that he is good and causes us then to want to put away these other things because he's put a distaste for sin in our mouth. And this is where we need to question today. Is this where we're living? Am I spreading that living and abiding word because I've known that word to be so good? I knew a man in Baton Rouge that had an experience with Jesus. And after he had that experience with Jesus, he wanted everyone else to have that same experience. And want them to know, want them to grow in Jesus. And that should be all of us. Not only that we tasted and seen, but we want others to taste and see. Which gets us to then to some concluding questions. Are you loving others with a sincere, brotherly, earnest, and pure love? Not just learning this text, are we living this text? Are you struggling to love another believer in these ways? If so, we want you this morning to ask God to help you, to ask God to grant you the desire and power to love like this. You know what you may need to do? Ask God to help you love them the way he loves you. Ask you to help, to help you love them the way he loves them. Are you using your spiritual gifts so that Trace is being built up in love? And if not, why not? Ask the Lord to show you how to do that, to show you that gift. Are you putting away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slender? slander? I'm not putting away slender, I can tell you that much. <laughs> or are you putting up with them? Are you okay with it? You think that you can have both these things? And is there evidence you've been born again because of the way you love others? Would anyone doubt that? And have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? With the gospel, there should always be a therefore. And that therefore, today in this text, is the love that we have for others because of the life that's been poured into us. It's not a love that we have to pretend to love. It's a love that we can't help but display. And if you're having problems loving in this way, I want to encourage you to pray and seek the Lord, to repent, to seek his help, and to put away the things that would never be beneficial for those around you. There's not a single way that malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander would ever be loving towards anyone else. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you work through your word and that you bring life. For those of us who've been brought to life in Christ, we are grateful this morning. And we pray that you would use us to see others come to Christ. That we would never be afraid to share your word. That this is the evangelism strategy. You change your people through your word and use them to change others. I pray that love would not be pretend here. I pray that love would not be pretend in our homes. That because of being in Christ, that love would be sincere. 
that it would be loyal, brotherly, that it would be earnest and fervent, that it would be pure, that we don't love them because of what we can get from them, but we love them for what we can give to them. We put their good above our own. We put their needs above our own. Would you allow that love to be evident in our homes? That would change our homes. It would change our neighborhoods. Would you help us to put away malice? If we want evil towards someone today, change our heart. If we're working toward that, change our heart. If we have committed that, cleanse us. If we are envious of your work, your gifts to others, help us to rejoice, praise you, and thank you for your grace extended to them. If we are hypocrites, excellent at wearing masks, please help us to be genuine and sincere. Help us to put away anything that would not be helpful for those you've called us to love. Help us to put away anything that would not display you. You sent Jesus to die because of our malice and envy and hypocritical spirits, our actions. Help us then to replace all of that with love. We're growing in you. That we come to the word and we continue to grow. And that does take effort. It's not always easy. It's not easy sometimes just to read a text. It's certainly not easy to dig in to study that text. So we pray for the grace that you would help us to do so. Because what's fueling all of this, we've met you there. It's not just that your word is good, but you are good. We want others to know that you are good, to experience what we have. So if anyone in our family would doubt our love for them today, Father, would you move us to make that right? If anyone in this faith family would doubt our love for them, would you move us to make that right this morning? And if anyone in our city, in our work, in our friendships, would doubt the reality of Christ's love because we failed to display it, would you move us to seek their forgiveness and to model love for them that you might use us in their lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing these songs of response this morning.